Man, well, about 17 years ago, uh, I made a decision that I was going to be different. My wife and I, we've been married for 16 years, and we got married, uh, we got engaged 17 years ago. So we got engaged, uh, and I had a year to prepare, not for our wedding day. I mean, I was looking forward to our wedding day, uh, but I was preparing for our wedding night. That's what I was really looking forward to. And this might be TMI, I don't know, but I had a vision for how I wanted to look on our wedding night. And I knew that in order for me to get there, uh, I had to do some things differently. So I joined a gym. Like, uh, like I made this decision. I crossed this line where I said, I want to be this way a year from now. But for me to be that way, I got to get in a gym. And I got to start working out. And so I joined a gym. I started working out. I got some workout partners. And um, on our wedding night, I was ready. I had... Not quite hit the vision that I wanted. I was still scrawny, but I wasn't as scrawny as I was the year before, right? And so I made this decision that something was going to change in my life. And then after we got married, um, I stopped working out uh, because I already had the girl. Like, why continue to? I already had her. She was mine, right? And um, we, we also didn't know how to cook. So we had a lot of homemade fried chicken. That was one of our favorite things to eat. And then we also had a lot of hamburger helper. And so a uh, constant conversation in our house was, what flavor hamburger helper do you want tonight? You want the beef stroganoff or the cheeseburger flavor? Like, which, which one are we going to eat? And also around that time, uh, 16 years ago, I was drinking three to four Coca-Colas a day. And so I was a Coke addict. And, um, and there was a moment where we just looked in the mirror and we both said, we don't like what we see. And, and we need to change that. So there was this moment where we crossed over this line. There was a line of demarcation between who we were and who we wanted to be. And we said, we don't want to be this anyway, anymore. And so we crossed over that line and we made a decision. We, we learned how to cook. We started watching a lot of Gordon Ramsay shows and we just did what he did. I started talking in a British accent too. It was weird. But, but we learned how to cook. And then uh, I stopped drinking Coke. I started drinking water only. I went back to the gym and there was a change that took place when we made that decision. We had that epiphany moment where we said, we don't want to be the same anymore, and we're going to cross this line into new living. And then we did the same thing when we realized that we were $12,000 in debt. We, we saw that we were $12,000 in debt. We had a car loan. We had student loans. We had credit card debt, and we just said, enough is enough. We're tired of living paycheck to paycheck. We got to do something different. And so we made a decision. We crossed a line. We found a plan, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which, by the way, we're going to be offering that as a church beginning in January. And so as you hear signups uh, going on for that in November and December, make sure you sign up to get involved in Financial Peace University. It's going to be a group that we do in January and February. But we, we joined that, and then we learned how to get out of debt, how to manage our money, how to create a budget. We got on a plan, and we changed things. And within 16 months, we were no longer in debt. All because we had this moment where we said, enough is enough. We're crossing over this line into something new. And we made that decision. The same thing happened uh, when we were discovering that we were being lax in our parenting, and we were seeing some attitudes in our kids that we didn't really like, and, and we just thought to ourselves, you know, these are not the kind of adults that we want to un unleash into the world, because that's what you're doing if you're a parent. You're not raising kids, you're rearing adults, because those little people are going to become people people at some point, and you're going to unleash them on society, and, and we just found this is not the attitude that we want our kids to have because I know some adults who still have that kind of attitude. And so we got to do something different. 
And so together, my wife and I crossed this line of demarcation, this line of decision where we said, we're going to do some things differently. And things changed. I wonder, as you, as you think about your life, have you had these epiphany moments? These moments where you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you say, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore, and you cross the line, whatever it is, and then your life changes. Like, everything changes for you. You have this moment where you just cross over this line, and, 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 and maybe this is the moment that, that you had that led you to start the business that you started. You just had this moment, this epiphany where you said, I, I don't like living this way. I had this dream. I had this vision, this thing that's birthed in me that I want to see happen differently. And so you crossed this line, and that's why the business got started, because you crossed the line. You made the decision. This is, this is maybe the reason why you proposed to her. You said, enough is enough. Or maybe she said, when are you going to propose? And you said, okay. And you crossed the line. And you, and you summon the courage and the bravery and the guts. And even though you were nervous and you were shaken and you were dripping with sweat, you dropped down to one knee and you asked her, you crossed the line. And things were forever different. Have you ever crossed the line like this? Maybe this is why you started going to counseling. Because you said, enough is enough. i got to change. Maybe this is why when you look at yourself now, you no longer see inadequacy and insecurity because you've heard me talk about a crucible retreat and you said, I'm finally signing up for crucible and I'm gonna go and then you go, you cross the line and something changes in you. By the way, you gotta check out crucible. Crucible is this men's retreat. They also have women's retreats uh, where you'll just discover more about who you are. And so check that out, crucibleproject.com. But, um, or maybe it's .org, I don't know. But have you ever had these moments where you just cross the line? You just have this epiphany moment. You say, enough is enough. I'm going to be different now. Today, we're going to give you an opportunity to do just that. Today, we're going to give men an opportunity to cross the thin red line and make a decision to say, forever, I'm going to be changed. Forever, I'm going to be different. I'm not going back to how I used to be. I'm stepping into who God has called me to be. Today, you're going to have an opportunity to do just that, to cross the thin red line. And we got to do this. We have to, at some point in our life, make this decision to cross this thin red line. Because here's, here's our goal. What, what we want to do is we want to be good men. We have images and ideas of what makes a man a man. And it comes from society and culture and movies and maybe examples that we had in our past. But ultimately, what we want to do is not, not just become men based on those different examples that we have. We want to become good men good kings of the kingdoms God has entrusted us with, strong warriors fighting for something we're fighting for. We want to be stoic sages, learning and using our wisdom to help others. And we want to be passionate lovers where we're able to empathize and be compassionate and see others in a great way. This, these are the kind of men that we want to be. And this is what we've been doing throughout this series. We've been in this series called The Thin Red Line, and uh, this is our man series, now, this isn't a, a, a men-only series, but it's our man series. And, and it's been so great throughout this series um, just hearing the stories of men saying, I need this. Like, this is opening my eyes, helping me see things I never saw before. It's been so great hearing women say, this is so great for my husband to come be a part of. This is so great for my son to come be a part of because they're, they're, they're seeing change in their life. They're seeing a challenge take place in their men's lives, and they're excited for this. So it's been really great seeing and hearing the stories from this series. But I want to I just take a moment to recap where we've been. Because, again, ultimately, our goal in this series is we want to become more like Jesus. 
And, and here's what the scriptures say about Jesus. This is how he grew. This is, this is the kind of example he said. It said this, uh, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is our goal. We want to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And we have to do this. Men, we have to grow in wisdom and stature. We have to grow in favor with God and man. Because if not, then what happens is our bodies grow into men. And so we have the strength of a man. We have the sex drive of a man. We have the resources of a man. But there's a little boy at the wheel. And if we don't cross the thin red line, if we don't grow into the men God has called us to be, then we have all the power of a man with a boy at the wheel. And when that happens, people get hurt. And you've experienced this, right? Some, some man in his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, his 50s, his 60s, he never, he never quite grew up. He never quite crossed that line. He never grew in wisdom and stature. And so he had all the resources of a man, but there was a little boy at the wheel, and he run roughshod all over you. And it's caused you wounds and hurt and pain. Maybe you look at your own life, and you feel the same way. There have been some people, you can look back, and you can see the bodies it's because you never made this transition from boyhood to manhood. And today's the day that you're going to get a chance to do just that. And so here's where we've been throughout this series, just so I can catch you up. And, and also throughout this series, uh, we've had uh, a lot of different things on the screen. And the way that we take notes here is by taking pictures. And so if you missed any of that or you're like, oh, man, I wish I took a picture of that, I should Now's the time. You're going to want to take your phone out. Get ready to take some pictures so you can take some notes because we're going to recap where we've been. We're going to have a bunch of stuff up here on the screen. You're going to want to revisit this, um, but this is just kind of where we've been so far. Here, here's what we've discovered. From the bonus message that we published online, we found that we need to redefine what a good man is by going back to the operator's manual, which is God's word. It was written by the manufacturer, the patent holder, so that we can know the truth of what manhood and masculinity really is. And then we realized at some point in our lives, we made a bad exchange trading in God's truth for our own truth, which isn't truth at all, but a lie. And we've gotten our cues on what a good man is from society, from culture, our parents, our experience, but we found that we can't trade God's truth for something else because if we do that, then we'll fall short of being the man God has called us to be, which is to be a good man. And we realize in this series that men are commissioned to co-rule with God and gladly assume the sacrificial responsibility to work and keep everyone and everything that sovereign God has entrusted to him in his kingdom. So the question is not, will your husband be the head of your household? He is. The question is, will he be a good one or a bad one? And we found that this isn't a game. This whole life thing is not a game. God has entrusted to you a kingdom to protect, provide, and preside, and you have a very real enemy who's developed a particular plan to take you out so he can divide and conquer your kingdom. And he wants to have his way with you, and he knows that if he can take you out, then he can take out everyone connected to you. So we have to prepare for war. And the way that we prepare for war is by putting on the full armor of God, showing up every day to do battle for our kingdom and those entrusted to us. And so this is where we've been. We have to redefine what a good man is. And that starts by realizing we've made a bad exchange. And so we have to prepare for war by putting on the full armor of God. And yes, you're going to need all of it. And here's why. Because the king is raising an army. The king 
is raising an army. These are all the titles from the sermons that we've done throughout this series. And today I want to preach from this title, The King is Raising an Army. And I want to invite you to step across the thin red line and join his army today. But first, I, I want to tell you what kind of army the king is raising. And for us to see this kind of army, we need to look back uh, to the prophet Malachi. Uh, this is uh, a guy who spoke on God's behalf. God spoke through him, and this took place 2,400 years ago. And so the Bible, the, the scriptures are split up into two separate sections. We, we have the Old Testament, and we have the New Testament. And the Old Testament is all the things that happened before Jesus came onto the scene, and the New Testament is everything that happened after Jesus came onto the scene. And so in between those two periods, um, there's 400 periods of silence, and Malachi is the last prophet to speak on God's behalf. And so as you look throughout the Old Testament, we come to Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet to speak on God's behalf. Something's about to shift from this Old Testament period to this New Testament period where God's going to do something in the world. God's going to put on flesh and come to earth and live as one of us. But before that happens, God says some last words, some final words to the prophet Malachi. And then after he says those words, he stops speaking. He's silent for 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. And so he stops speaking. These are like God's last final words. And so as he speaks through Malachi, as we think about these last words, these are like the last words in a conversation, so they're kind of important. It's like, these are the last things I'm going to say before I'm out of here, and so this is the thing I need to stick with you. And so here are God's last words to humanity spoken by this guy Malachi in 400 BC. He says this, remember the law, my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. So before God drops the mic and leaves, he says, hey, I want you to remember the law that I gave my servant Moses at Horeb. And so the question is, what's the law that he gave Moses at Horeb? Because we can't remember it if we don't know it. And so now let's go back to see what God said to Moses on this Mount Horeb. And just to give you a little bit of context of what's happening here, the nation of Israel was slaves in Egypt. And then God uses Moses to go and set them free. And so he leads them out of Egyptian captivity. They cross over the Red Sea. They wander around in the desert for just a short period of time. And then God brings them to the promised land that he wants to deliver them into. So he brings them right up to the line of this land he wants to take them to. And before they cross over the line into the land, he gives them some instructions. And he gives them these instructions on Mount Horeb. And we see it right here, Deuteronomy 6. One through two. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I gave you. And so you may enjoy long life. And so he's saying, here's what you need to do. Here are the decrees that God is giving me to give to you. And then he tells them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So impress them on your hearts and then impress them on your children. So it's something that you need to adopt and it's something then that you instruct your children 
to adopt, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then as you adopt them and as you seek to instill them in your children, talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So before the people of Israel, who have been set free from Egyptian captivity, cross the line into the promised land God is giving them, he said, here's some instructions that I have for you. Love God with all your heart, emotions, Mind, intellect and thoughts, soul, passion, strength, actions. So the way that I want you to live, as you go into this promise line, as you cross over this line into this new life I'm giving you, I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let this be something that's all-consuming for you, not just something you check a box off on. Not, not some compartmentalized thing where you come visit me once a week and say, hey, God, how you doing? All right, see you back to my life. No, no, no. I want you to live in such a way where it's all-consuming for you, like my life, my love, my grace, my patience, my compassion, everything that, that, that's all about me, the life that I'm seeking to have you live, let it consume you and let it be something that you adopt in your own life, not to try out, not to give it a shot, but like to dive in head first and like, this is who I am. I'm somebody who loves God with all my heart, all my emotions, all my mind, all my intellect, all my soul, my passion, and all my strength, my actions. Be that kind of person. And then teach your children that. Impress that on your children. Because we all know, if you try to teach your kids something you're not living out, they're going to see you as a hypocrite. And so before you try to give your kids a little bit of God so they'll be good and listen to you and obey you, you got to live it out yourself so they see your example. And it's not a thing where you say, do what I say, not what I do. No, we want to be the kind of people who can say to our kids, and if you don't have kids right now, one day your future kids, where you can say to them, do what I do because I'm setting the example for you. This is before you cross over the line into the promised land, man, adopt this in your life. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then impress it upon your kids. Don't bring them to church and let the church teach them. You teach them at home. Are you with me? Don't, don't, don't expect somebody else to teach them. You set the example, and then what happens in church, what happens in a service is supplemental. It just goes along with what you're already teaching them at home. And so God gives this command not just to men, but to women as well, moms and dads. Moms, dads, be the example for your kid. Teach your kids to follow God in the way that you live, in the conversations that you have, in the books that you read, in the shows that you watch, so that they will then carry it on and teach their kids. And so it begins with, so, so the thing that, that God is teaching through Moses is as you cross over this line into the promised land I've called you to be, here, here's what I'm looking for you to do. I'm looking for you to follow me, to be all consumed by me, and then instill that in your family. What God is seeking most of all to do is create great families. That's the instruction. Create great families. 
And so this is what Malachi is referring to when he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Hey, adopt this for yourself. Let this be all-consuming in your life. Live it out. Be an example. And then impress it upon your kids. Teach your kids this stuff. So that together as a family, you're living for me. Comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Again, this is God's last words to humanity before he's going to be silent for the next 400 years. And the very last thing God says is, hey, I'm going to send someone in the spirit of Elijah. We're going to get to that in a minute. And he's going to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. And if that doesn't happen, I'm going to bring destruction. Bye. That's it. These are the last words God says. So early, early, early on, thousands of years ago, God says through Moses, adopt this, let it be consuming in your life. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and teach your kids. And then 2,400 years ago, just before he drops the mic and leaves, he says, hey, like, like be the kind of people, parents, turn to your kids, kids, turn to your parents. And then I'm going to send somebody who's going to say the same exact message. And then we see that happen 400 years afterwards. And so Jesus was born around 6 BC, and around 24 AD, he comes onto the scene and begins his public ministry. But just before that, this guy named John, his cousin, comes onto the scene and starts announcing the coming of Jesus, that Jesus is starting this public ministry. And before John grows up and he announces that Jesus is starting this public ministry, uh, he was born as a baby, like the rest of us. And as he's about to be born, like his, his parents couldn't have kids. And so this angel shows up to his dad and this angel tells John's dad what kind of man John is going to be, this one who's going to go before Jesus and, and lead the way and let people know Jesus is starting his ministry. And here's what the angel says about John, again, about 400 years after Malachi said what he said, how someone is coming in the spirit of Elijah, Luke chapter 1, verse 16. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, uh, of the righteous. So 400 years prior, God says through Malachi, I'm gonna send someone in the spirit of Elijah and he's gonna turn the hearts of parents to their children, children to their parents. And then 400 years after that, the announcement of John's birth is made and John is the one. John's the one that Malachi was talking about. He's the one who's come parents. And so there's the same message. Again, God is saying, the thing I care about most, man, I want for great families to take place. I want for parents to love their kids and kids to love their parents. And then John comes out and he says this. And then it's explained about John that he's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord a movement, a, a people on mission, an army. John comes onto the scene essentially to help the king raise an army. The kind of army the king is raising is an army of men and women who love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
It's an army of men and women who instill these principles of God for their kids, who show them grace and love and peace and patience and joy, and they model it out in their own life. The army God is looking to raise, the, the, the movement, the mission God is seeking to, to um, have rolling along in the church is a gathering of people, a group of people who love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then instill that to their kids. And that's what you've been called to do. That's what I've been called to do. And so the question is, are you ready to join the army of the king? This army of men and women who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and are willing to do whatever it takes to impress that same love, that same relationship on their kids. Are you ready to join that army of men and women who determine we're going to have strong, healthy families? That's what I want, families. I think that's what destruction happens. Because, right? I mean, we've seen it in society. We've seen it in culture. With the breakdown of the family, destruction happens. That's exactly what God said would happen. And so we want to be the kind of people who love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then we impress it upon our kids. And you can't control your kids, but you can do everything you can to set them an example so that we can have strong, healthy families. This is the kind of army that the king is raising. And two weeks ago when we, when we last met, uh, we talked about how we need to prepare for war. And I said the way we prepare for war is we put on the full armor of God. And I said, you're going to need all of it. And we read from Ephesians uh, this letter that this early church planner 2,000 years ago named Paul wrote to the Christians in the area of Ephesus. And so he, he writes in this letter, they're living in Ephesus, they're known as Ephesians, so he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesus this letter, and he tells them that they need to prepare for war, and what he says in that letter is, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he goes on, we covered this a couple weeks ago, he goes on to tell them to put on the full armor of God because they're at war. There's a battle facing them. So for them to be strong and in God's mighty power, they need to prepare for war by putting on the armor. But he says, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So before the finally, he says something else. So what is he talking about before that that would make us, you and I, need to be so prepared for war, so geared. What's going to be so tough? What's going to be so difficult that we got to prepare for war, that we got to put on God's armor? Because if we don't put on God's armor, we're going to be slaughtered. We're going to be this crazy battle we got to prepare for so that we don't get taken out. He talks about it earlier on in Ephesians chapter 5. And so I want to show you the battle that he talks about, what we need to prepare for. And, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read the sections where he's talking to men. He also talks to women, uh, but men, I just want to read to you the sections that he, that he writes about to you, all right? So men, this is why we need to prepare for war. Ephesians chapter 5, this is earlier, before he said, finally be strong in the Lord his mighty power, and then put on the full armor of God. He says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now real quick, he's talking about in a marriage relationship, a husband and wife, together, I said I'm going to read the things that apply to men, but this is one that applies to both of us, together we need to submit to one another. And so husbands, submit to your wife and love her and serve her and be compassionate towards her and be kind and caring and generous. 
Wives, submit to your husband. Love him and care for him. Be kind, compassionate, patient, and generous with him. Together, submit to one another. You want to solve the majority of your marriage problems? It's that verse right there. Submit to one another. Not, I'm the head of the household. You bow down to me. You do what I say. No, 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 no. You can get divorced real quick with that. Not, oh, why don't you ever change? I just wish you would. No, 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 no. Proverbs says it's better for you to live on the corner of a roof than to live with a nagging wife. No, no, no. Both of you together, you got to submit to one another and realize we are on the same team. We're in this together. There's not a scoreboard in our living room, and we're not against one another. We're on the same team. We're building a life together. And in order for us to do that, it means we have to submit. I'm not talking over you. I'm not powering up. I'm not trying to get, no, we're, we're submitting to one another because together, we want to grow old. When we're 70, we want to sit on that porch, rocking, watching traffic go by, sipping sweet tea and lemonade, holding hands because look at the life that we've built and we did it together. That only happens if you submit to one another. I just saved you $5,000 in marriage counseling right there. Y'all better thank me for that. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, here we go. I'm going to talk just a minute. For the husband is the head responsible for doing all that he can to provide all that is needed in his kingdom of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Being the head doesn't mean I'm in charge. And I, again, submit to one another. Being the head is I have a lot of responsibility. That I have people God has entrusted to me in my kingdom. And it is my job to protect, provide, and preside over them. And I want to be a good king. Husbands, love. Not an emotion. It's a decision to direct your will and find your joy in something or someone, which is your wife, your wife, not somebody else's wife, not somebody else. You find your joy in your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her gladly assumed sacrificial responsibility. Men, it's our job to gladly assume sacrificial responsibility. My fault, my bad, that's on me. To make her holy, pure, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, which is truth, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, modeled after Jesus, in the same way modeled after Jesus, husbands, out of love, choose to direct their will and look nowhere else to find their joy, their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You're one flesh. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed, provide, and care, protect for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to first priority after Jesus. Your wife is your first priority after Jesus, not your kids, not your job, not your hobbies. Your wife is your first priority after Jesus. Jesus is first, then comes your wife. That's a priority list. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. 
But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. So men, that's your charge as husbands, to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. The way Jesus loved the church was he laid down his life for us. He went to the cross for us. So women, if you're like, what's this whole head of the thing? Hey, hey, your husband needs to die to love you. That's a high calling. And I'm not talking about physically dying. I'm talking about dying every single day to serve you and love you. That's tough. Men, that's our challenge and responsibility, though. And then wives, your call is to love your husband. So we see this as our call for husbands. And now I want to show you, men, here's your charge as dads. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean don't make your kids angry, okay, because you're going to make your kids angry. You better make your kids angry because there are going to be times where your kids want to do things that are not best for them, and you need to tell them no. 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 What? No. Can you just, no? Can you just no with me? No. Yes. No, no. You need to say no. No. Don't no me. No. Okay, I got a few of you. One more time. No. Yeah. So there's going to be times where you're going to say no. Because you know that's not what's best for them. And you can't be their best friend. Your job, first and foremost, is to be the person in their life, leading them and directing them and guiding them to be kids who love God and love people. That's it. But sometimes we're afraid and we want to be liked. And so we just let our kids run roughshod all over us. Or we back off. We back off. Well, I don't, I don't really know. I mean... I'll let you try it out. I don't, I don't really know. Men, men you, you have to be the man who's going to stand up to your kids and say, um, whether you like me or not, I'm your dad, and I'm going to lead you in the way to go. Because if you don't, if you back off, then what's going to happen is your kid is going to grow up, and they're going to ask you, where were you when I needed you? Where were you when I needed you? Where were you when I went through that? When, when, when I told you to back off, when I told you to leave me alone, when I said, I don't want anything, uh, I don't want you in my life. Where were you? How come you didn't fight? How come you didn't say, no, I'm standing up here. And if you say, well, because I wanted you to like me, I, I wanted to give you space, your kid's gonna say, well, I got slaughtered. And I needed you to be there because I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I knew, but I didn't. He just let me. Now here I am. Men, we gotta stand up, take charge, and be the example that we need to be for our kids' lives. And so what should we do then? Train, instruct, and model. Determine this, that I'm not raising kids, I'm raising adults. My goal is to set you up for success, giving you the tools, resources, and mindsets that you need to navigate through life and lead your own kingdom well one day. That's your job for your kids, that you can help them lead their own kingdom well one day. And so you say as a dad, my first priority as a dad is to protect, provide, and preside at all costs. You want to be able to say, to, uh, to, to say kids, follow me because I'm your dad. 
follow me, because I'm going to run toward Jesus, and I'm going to take you with me. And I'm not just going to teach you, train you, and instruct you, but I'm going to model in my own life, not just with my words, because that's easy to do, but watch my actions, because this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to use money in a wise way. This is what it looks like to keep your marriage promises, so watch how I treat your mom. This is what sexual purity looks like. This is what I'll do to any punk who tries to take that away from you. This is what it looks like to get up when you make a mistake and keep going. This is what it looks like to love you. These are the hills that I'm willing to die on, and these are the things that I'm willing to go to jail for. See, God has put a rod of defense and protection in my hand, and he's told me to take care of you, and I'm going to do it. Kids, I will stand firm on some things, and I'll be strong, and you won't always like me, but I don't care because I know more than you, and this is what's best. I'll do my best to guide you and nudge you and lead you away from things that are harmful to you, even if you think they're good for you. I'll stay in the way and take whatever you have to throw at me because I refuse to let you destroy yourself. I'll be consistent. I'll do what I said I was going to do. And even when I make mistakes, and I'm sure I will, I will never stop working on and learning and pursuing how to become greater and love you in greater ways. Why? Because God let me be your dad, and that's a role I refuse to abdicate to anyone else. So help me, God, I am going to be your dad. This is what you say, men, to your kids. And this is the kind of men God is calling us to be as we join his army, men who would love our wives, love our future wives. If you're dating someone who would love your girlfriend, that you would love her so much that you would say, I'm going to wait until we get married to have sex because you're worth waiting for and we're going to pursue purity together, that we would be the kind of men who say, kids, I'm going to stand in the way of things that are going to come to harm you because it's my job to help you and to provide, to protect, and preside over you and to help you one day raise your own kingdom. This is the kind of army God is seeking to raise men who will be good men, who will be good husbands, who will be good fathers. And this is what you're invited to join today. This is what you're invited to do today, to step across the thin red line. And I want to say this before we, we go into what we're about to go into. Here's why Paul, when he writes in Ephesians, he says, fathers, don't provoke your kids. The reason why he calls out fathers and not mothers, he doesn't say anything about mothers. But come on, we, we all know that mothers could be called out in this as well. The reason why he calls out fathers, though, and he gives us that responsibility specifically is because no other relationship in your life has the power to destroy you or build you up than the relationship of that with your dad. And you've experienced this in your own life. There are scars and wounds that you carry because your dad didn't rise up like he needed to. Or some man in your life wasn't there for you like you needed him to be. He didn't protect like he needed to. He abdicated his responsibility. Again, this happens with women as well, but no other relationship in our life impacts us and affects us more than that with our dad and with the men in our lives because some of us are still carrying around wounds and scars from men who are 60, 50, 40, 30, who had little boys at the wheel still driving and they ran over us. Men, some of you, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you're still carrying around wounds and scars from something that happened to you when you were 8 or 10 or 12 years old. Because the men in our lives impact us like no one else. 
And this is why Paul calls out fathers. So the king is raising an army for men to step up and be good men, to be good kings of their kingdoms. And this is what I want to invite you to today. I started off talking about line in the sand moments, epiphany moments, where we just make a decision and we cross over the line and we say, from now on, I'm never going to be the same. And today, you have an opportunity to cross over a line and make that same decision. Up here, we have a thin red line on the ground. It may be hard to see, but we've put this thin red line right here on the ground. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity, men, to come and step across the thin red line to make a decision to be the man God has called you to be. And here's the commitment that you're committing to. As you cross this thin red line, this line represents a moment where you're saying, I'm leaving my past in the past and I'm stepping across this line. And when I step across this line, I resolve with God's power to be a better man. Here's a commitment I'm gonna encourage you to make if you choose to step across this line today. I resolve to be the man God created me to be. I will fix my eyes on Jesus. I will love and honor and be faithful to my wife. I will lead in the training and instruction of my children. I will teach and protect my sons and daughters. I will forgive myself and others for the past. I will never give up. I will never quit, resign, or surrender my God-given call to take responsibility for my own life and the lives of the people that God has entrusted to my care. And this commitment is what we have up here on this banner. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to cross the line. And it's a thin red line. And red represents a lot of different things. One of the things red represents is love. It's a commitment of you saying, I'm going to love my family so much that I'm going to step up to be the man God has called me to be. It represents love. It represents sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross where he sacrificed his life. And a thin red line of blood dripped from his wrist, from his feet, from his wounds so that we could be healed, so that we could be made new. And if you've never made the decision to accept Jesus, to believe that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, to start following him, giving him your life, and being baptized into him, that's the decision that you need to make first and foremost. And you can make that decision on our app. We have a form that says connect. We also have um, some areas that say baptism. You can just let us know. Tap that, click that. And we want to talk to you about getting baptized and giving your life to Jesus because crossing this line is not a salvation thing. This does not get you into heaven. This does not make you right with God. This is a commitment where you're saying, I want to be a better man. But the only way that you can be a better man, first and foremost, is by following Jesus, giving him your life, and being baptized into him. So that's your first decision. And so red represents love. Red represents sacrifice. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to cross this line. And as you come and cross this line, we're going to have a table up here. And on that table, there are cards that have this commitment on it. We have pens up here. We're going to invite you to sign your name. You're signing your name to that commitment. After you sign your name to that commitment, there are going to be several men up here who you're going to go see. And they're going to greet you. They're going to welcome you. They're going to pray for you. And then they're going to give you one of these thin red line bracelets for you to wear. 
And after they do that, you're going to come over here to this banner and sign your name here as a public declaration that you've made this commitment. You're going to take that card with you so you have it at home to see it, to remind you of the commitment that you made. You're going to receive that bracelet, and then you're going to sign here as a public dedication. And we have Sharpie markers over here for you to sign your name up here. And I had this brief thought that we're going to have Sharpie markers over here so you can sign your name. And then I was thinking, you know what? We're going to have Sharpie markers um, so that oh yeah, it'd be good to have Sharpies because then guys could sign their name, but then if they mess up, we could just cross it off. And then I thought, no way. Because we don't do that here. Some churches do that, where you mess up and they write you off. They cut you out. Some people do that. You mess up and they write you off. They cross you out. But we don't do that here at Journey because all of us are messed up. And what we've come to discover is that God loves you for who you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. And so when you put your name on this banner with that Sharpie marker, you can rest assured it'll never get crossed out no matter how bad you mess up because you're loved and you're accepted and you're called by God's name. And so we're about to do this and I just want to give you some, some, um, some ground rules for this, I want to give you uh, some rules of engagement. This is not the only day that we're going to do this. After this, we're going to have this banner and a thin red line set up in our lobby area every single week. And they're going to be these cards and these bracelets for anybody who's not here today to be able to cross that thin red line and make that same commitment, make that same decision, receive a bracelet, sign the banner, take a card. So this is not the only day that we're going to do this. We're going to have this set up in our lobby area. But there are some men today who should cross this thin red line, and then there are some men who should not. And I want to tell you who should not cross this thin red line yet. If you haven't been part of this series three out of the four weeks, don't cross this line. I want you to instead go back and listen to the messages, get the context of this whole series, and once you've listened to those messages, then cross the line. Because now you know what you're getting into. So if you've been here three out of four weeks or you've listened online and you're caught up with this, then go ahead and cross. But if not, hey, it's okay. And, and I'm just saying this because I wanna give um, uh, a little note for all the men who don't cross the line. If you look around, like they're not, they're not saying that they wanna be bad husbands or bad dads or anything like that, okay? So there's no judgment there. But maybe they're just not ready yet. So if you haven't been here for three out of the four weeks of this series, don't cross. Um, and you could cheat on this. You could cheat on this. You could, you could come up, you could cross, you could sign the card, you could get the bracelet because it's cool, you could do all that and think, well, I'll listen to it later. Don't cheat on this because you're not going to listen to it later. And if you start off this journey by cheating on this, then a week from now, two weeks from now, when things get tough, you're going to cheat then also. Start off this journey with integrity, right? So if you haven't been here for the past three or four weeks, don't cross. You can have an opportunity and another time to cross in the lobby, but go back, listen to the messages, get caught up, and then make the decision. The next thing is this. This is open for men and boys 13 years and above. And so, so boys under 13, it's not your time yet. You gotta wait till you're 13. Um, and, there, and, and, and there are some who uh, maybe 
and so men and boys should be crossing this line. Uh, moms, don't come up for your sons. Let him do this. This is his thing. You can't be his mommy in this. He needs to grow up. Some of you may say, well, my husband's not here today. I'll, I'll just come up. I'll get a bracelet for him. No, no. He can get a bracelet when he can make it to church. So he has to come and make the decision himself. You can't make the decision for him. All right? So as nicely as I can say this, women, back off. Let your man do this on his own. It needs to be a decision he needs to make. Well, my son's out of town or, or my son lives far away or, or whatever it is. Can I, can, can, can I get him a bracelet and mail it to him? No, you can't. He can listen to all the messages and then he can mail me his signature and we will mail him a bracelet. Okay? This has to be his deal. He has to make this decision. You can't be his mommy all his life. I hope I wasn't too harsh on that. This is his deal. Let him do this. And so that's the rules of engagement. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. After I pray, our band's going to sing a song. When I finish praying, amen. If you're ready to make the commitment to cross the thin red line, to step over, I want to invite you to do that at the end of that prayer. Again, you're going to come up here. You're going to sign a card. You're going to see a man over here. I'm going to pray for you. Give you a bracelet, and then you're gonna sign the banner. God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. You're so good. So many of us have been trying our best, but we've made a mess of it. We've been trying in our own strength. We've gotten examples from men before us, from society and culture, and we've just made a mess of it. We cannot do this on our own. And that's why we need you. And so today, we're ready to make the commitment to cross the line, to leave our past in our past, and to step forward into all that you've called us to. This isn't our commitment to be perfect because we know we're going to mess up. And when we mess up, not if, but when, we know you're right there with us, guiding us and leading us, calling us back home. So today we make the decision to cross this thin red line. In Jesus' name, amen. Now's the time.